Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, we're making our way through, I, I, by God's grace, you know, we just kind of go through the scriptures and, and uh, I tend to worry about pace, how many points should I have per Sunday, what should we do, but I'm just going to trust that, that God's word is going to speak and we, we do our best and when we bring God's word, it's, it's great. So... Um, I've, I know that I have been blessed just restudying this book. And the blessing it is to prepare uh, in the book of Ephesians has just been wonderful for me. And I pray that that's spilling over uh, to you also. Um, it's a wonderful book. And, and really, I, I want to give a quick review. One of the goals that I pray for all of you as we, as we teach through the book is that you would really know uh, on some level the book of Ephesians. And so let's do a real quick review, and because uh, it's been a while for some of us, we took a break for Christmas and such. But what is the basic outline of Ephesians? And sometimes I call on you, and I, and I won't do that today. But I want you to think: Do you know right now a basic two-point outline of Ephesians? Well, it's this: in chapters one through three, we see this: our position in Christ Jesus. What has our salvation through grace accomplished for us? Who are we in Christ? What is our position? And we just see grace fueling a life that God has saved. And then chapters four through six, we will see this, and we're quickly getting there. We'll see our practice in Christ Jesus. How we live because of everything God has done for us. See, we live differently as believers because Jesus Christ has saved us. We have salvation through Christ, and this grace then propels us to holy living. Isn't that wonderful? Because so many times people just go right to the holy living part. And is holiness important? Absolutely. Is holiness a calling? Is that what we're called to as Christians? Yes. It is not to be minimized. Ever. But... It is God's grace that moves us to holiness. Not our holiness bringing us to God's grace. Amen? I mean, that's huge. That's important. Very, very important. Because I think as humans, we want to say, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And we're learning in Ephesians, we cannot do it. We need God to give us life. So I praise God for this letter. This book written so many years ago, it is so appropriate for us as individuals who are followers of Jesus Christ. And it's also so very appropriate for us as a corporate congregation who come together weekly here in Hollister, California to worship our Savior. And so last week we started out in chapter 3 with Paul looking like he was about to jump into prayer. He was about to jump into prayer for the church. And we see in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul... Uh, Paul says this, for this reason, I, Paul, and we'll read, our, we'll read our text now, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, 
members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that, Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And then we see in verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. You see, Paul was about ready to head into prayer, but then he gets a detour. We don't know why, but we know this. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we see in these verses a practice for us to follow. And last week we had said it. Remember Paul in the letter to the Corinthians says this, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. And so Paul is an example of ministry. Paul is an example of a follower of Christ that we should look at closely. And we see in these verses that Paul's ministry is fully, 100% focused on our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know how easy, maybe it's just me, but are you aware how easy it is to get distracted from our personal calling and our corporate calling as a church? It is easy to get distracted. You see, our purpose and our calling is to have Jesus Christ be the center of all that we do. In our church, Christ is to be the center. In our homes, Christ is to be the center. Is he? In our job, is Christ the center? In all our activities, in our hobbies. You see, all that we do should be exclusively done for the glory of Jesus Christ. Think about church life. It's easy to lose focus. It's easy to fall into a trap of distraction by things that oftentimes look really good. God gave Paul a job, and Paul's job, and our job, and our ministry is to proclaim Christ and to explain the old unfolding plan of God to all people. This is our purpose, and we are re-revealing what Paul proclaimed Jesus is Christ. He is the Savior of all. And so, since we have the same purpose as Paul, we follow Paul's example and his example laid out in these verses. Last week, just for a quick review, we saw two examples, and we'll have four more. We're going to do two today. So we'll have a total of six. Uh, We'll finish up the six next week. But last week, we saw this. Like Paul, we are to fully surrender ourselves to the will of God. We must surrender ourselves to the will of God, no matter what it is. You see at the first part, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. See, Paul was in prison, but he realized that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was not a prisoner of Rome. He didn't view it that way. And also we see that Paul, in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Paul was in prison. Paul was suffering for the church. 
But he says, don't lose heart. You see, Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. And as we proclaim Christ, we're going to suffer for his kingdom. It goes with the territory. Remember, Peter said, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is about to come upon you. You see, the gospel message offends. And why does the gospel offend? Do you ever wonder about that? Why is the gospel message so offensive to people? I think it's for multiple reasons, but I think it's this. It offends, the gospel offends, because it says to the world, you need a savior. And you need help. You need Jesus. And apart from an outpouring of God's grace, pride takes over, doesn't it? And we reject that truth. Any of you ever gotten unsolicited advice? How do you receive it? Are you like me? Sometimes like, thanks. In one ear, out the other. Really appreciate you sharing that. Like, did I ask? You know, it was so, but think about this. Apart from Christ, when we're walking along and we say, you're a sinner, dead in your sins, you have nothing of yourself to offer to God to have a relationship with him. People go, whoa, I don't like hearing that. And yet God's word makes it plain and it makes it clear. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so when we confront and we tell people of their sin, and we could do it with as much grace as possible, I mean, the gospel is good news, right? We don't go, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and tell them nothing else. No, we go at it like this. God is our Savior. He sent Jesus. This is good news. And the world goes, that's unneeded news. I'm fine, thank you very much. So the gospel does offend and we will suffer for Christ. But God's grace endures. And he helps us in our sufferings. Then second, we saw last week, like Paul, as individuals and also as a corporate body of believers, we need to <clears throat> understand and proclaim the mystery of Jesus Christ. It's amazing the job Paul had. What a great purpose he had. <laughs> I mean, what a job. For the first time, Paul was traveling into the land of the Gentiles and proclaiming the gospel. He was delivering the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior of mankind. He was going to Gentiles and saying, Yahweh, Jehovah, God, has made a way for you to have a relationship with him. And in Old Testament times, that was a message for the Jews. And now this mystery is being revealed. The light is turning on. And we are here today because Paul proclaimed and the gospel went out. It is amazing. You can have peace with God. You can be forgiven. And this is our message too. This is why we teach Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus Christ must be what we study. We need to know him. We must know him and we must make him known. Revealing the mystery of Christ is to be the center of all that we do. We must do all things for the glory of Jesus Christ. And as a church, we must be vigilant to remember that Jesus Christ has to be, and he must be, the focus. Like the song says, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. And we do this by God's great grace. We strive to do this by grace. 
You see a church, it could be filled to the brim on a Sunday. You know, a message might be given by the most professional and gifted orator or speaker that you could ever imagine. The music could be perfectly presented and performed expertly with the precise volume that you prefer. The service could start exactly at 9.30 in zero seconds and end exactly at 11 o'clock in zero seconds. Donuts and coffee could flow freely. T-shirts and ice cream and candy for the kids. Spotless facilities, lighting and production that would rival a Broadway show. And even other things. Food for the hungry. Clothes for the needy. All these things. But if Jesus Christ is not proclaimed and worshipped as Savior and Lord within a church, if Jesus Christ is not the center of all that is done, sung and proclaimed, then a church is failing in its purpose. You see, you can attract a crowd with all sorts of lights and fun stuff. But Jesus Christ is our message. Jesus Christ is what we proclaim. And he is more than good enough. And so we do not shrink back from that. We proclaim, like Paul, the mystery of Jesus Christ. So let's continue on today and look at Paul's ministry. So first today, third overall, as individuals and as a body of believers, we, like Paul, must continually be humbled and empowered by the grace of God. Grace. It's the name of our church, isn't it? I love that word. Do you love grace? Are you seeing in this book how overwhelmed Paul is by the grace of God? The theme of grace flows throughout all of Paul's writings. And Paul loves God's grace. Look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3 in Ephesians. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You see, the former enemy, the former blasphemer, the persecutor of the church, the worst of sinners experienced a great gift from God. Paul experienced an avalanche of redeeming grace and redeeming mercy from God the Father. And along with redeeming grace, Paul received grace that empowered him to minister and to proclaim the gospel. You see, it is grace that fuels our message. It is grace that fuels us as a church. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10, Paul says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, there's another but. We're starting to love the buts of scripture, aren't we? When God moves in. But God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. We too, like Paul, should be overwhelmed, humbled, 
and empowered by the grace of God. Is grace really, truly amazing to you? Do you love God's grace? Does God's grace humble you? Again, I said it, grace is in the name of our church. We are Grace Bible Church. Are we a body of Christ that is overwhelmed by grace? Is all that we do seasoned with God's grace? Does the power to minister come from God's grace? Are we as a church humble people, humbled by God's grace? Because this is our calling. Faithful and effective Christians and faithful and effective churches love and proclaim God's grace. I mean, think about the humility of grace and how God's grace should humble us. We really should live lives that are continually, continually thankful to God. Why? Because grace is given. Grace, by definition, is not earned and is not deserved. It's a gift. Grace is not a wage given for our good works. Grace, we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, saves us and propels us to good works, right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand, so that we should walk in them. Without grace, we're not pleasing God. Without grace, we're still dead in our sins. And twice in verses 7 and 8, Paul says this, grace was given to me. And so Paul gives glory and praise to the giver of grace. You see, Paul is humbled by grace too. And so should we. You see how Paul says this? I am the least of all the saints. You know, this is not false humility. You ever give someone a compliment? And they go, oh, you know, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. But you can kind of tell by the way they put it on. They're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I did great. That's not what Paul's doing here. Paul means it. It is not a false humility. I mean, sometimes we compliment someone and we'll leave the conversation and we say to ourselves, whoa, humble guy. And we've all fallen into that, haven't we? The sin of false humility. But that is not Paul. Paul believes in his heart this to be true. Paul is not puffed up by his status and his title of apostleship. Paul is not puffed up by his ministry. Paul always gives all glory and his only boast in this world is Jesus Christ. Paul knows that it's by grace that he even has the opportunity to serve as king. Paul knows, as it says in verse 7 and verse 8, that grace, by grace, he is a minister of the gospel. You see this, Paul is following in humility. And when we serve in humility, we too are following and obeying who? The ultimate picture of humility. Why should grace humble us? Who is our picture of humility? Who is Paul really following when he's humble? Jesus Christ. Amazing. Think for a moment on the humility of Christ. He, Jesus, is the ultimate 
humble servant. And he is who we follow as Paul followed Jesus. Jesus Christ said this, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God stepped out of heaven and did not come to be served. Is there anyone higher in all creation than God? Yet he came to earth to give his life and to serve and to wash the feet of the dirty, to hang with the unclean, the lepers, to be with the sick and the unrighteous. That's our Savior. God Almighty, creator of all, stepped out of heaven and humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ stepped from heaven, humbled himself, and was a servant. And he died like a criminal for you and for me. What a picture of humility. What a picture of grace. And so when we view ourselves rightly like Paul, we too will humbly serve others. We will follow Christ's example. We will proclaim Jesus in love, the least of these, as it says in Matthew 25. Don't quote me on that. Grace. You see, it is grace that allows us to see ourselves in the most sinful of people. You realize that? Grace allows us to see ourselves in the most sinful of people. It's grace that allows us to see ourselves in the most dirty, in the most impoverished. We see ourselves in the poor. We see ourselves in the sick and the weak. We see ourselves in the prisoner. We see ourselves in the addicted. We see ourselves in those who struggle with immorality. Those who have fallen into great sin. Why do we see ourselves? Because without grace, that is us. Without grace, we would be undone. Because of God's grace, there is no one that walks this earth that is beneath us. No one. And so we humbly proclaim grace in Christ. Grace is what empowers our ministry to everyone. When we humbly focus on Jesus Christ, and when we focus on the grace of God, we clearly see ourselves, and we see our sinfulness, and we see our wickedness, and we see the sinfulness of man, and we also see the great and marvelous grace of God that brings salvation. We see the glory of the cross when we humbly recognize who we are. The cross is our salvation, and we see our need for repentance and confession of sin. Can I challenge you? Go on a missions trip sometime, and I pray as we get through our time of transition, and we get a pastor, that we start offering opportunities for you to go to the least of these. 
I tell kids when they're going on trips to orphanages or going to the poor or to the sick, find the most slum-ridden child you can and go grab them and embrace them and hug them and you will see the love Jesus has for you. And it's amazing that you get to see because you are the sick, poor child. <coughs> Some of you know, my youth staff knows, I'm a bit of a germaphobe. I don't think I'm that bad, but some people think I am. It, so for me, you see little but I love kids too. But I've been in mission situations where, you know, you, you just see it. Man, they're a mess. And snot's coming down. But they just come up and run, and they jump into your arms, and you're like, oh, boy. You know what? And we embrace them. And we say, God has called us to this, to the least of these because that is me needing a savior. That is who we are. <coughs> so we are humbled by grace. And it is grace that fuels and empowers our lives and it fuels and empowers our ministry. You see, verse seven ties grace and power together. You see, grace calls us to salvation and grace sustains and empowers us to the completion of our calling. Paul knows that he was saved by grace and that he is continuing and he's sustained by grace. That is the power of his ministry. <clears throat> Remember in chapter 1, verses 19 through 20? It says this, we'll start at verse 18. Paul is praying, he says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is this? The immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. You see, grace brings power. In verse 19 he says, I pray that you'll know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. You know, we believe by grace, we are saved by grace, and it's according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated, it, seated him with him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Grace gives us power. God's grace, grace strengthens us. Proof? Look at the disciples. Scattered and afraid, right, when Christ went to the cross. Jesus rises from the dead. They receive the Holy Spirit. All but one die a martyr's death. They were empowered to fulfill the ministry God had called them to. This last week, 60 years ago, on January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Yorian were speared to death on a sandbar in Ecuador as they fulfilled their calling to bring the mystery of Christ to, to the Huarani Indians in Ecuador. What causes a man or a woman to go and give their life for the gospel? Empowering grace. 
Grace empowers and it gives strength to ordinary weak people. In fact, that's who God uses. He uses the greatest of sinners saved by grace. Through his grace, we're empowered to fulfill our calling and to make Christ known. No matter the persecution, discomfort, attacks from within, attacks from without, or even if our ministry is never, ever recognized, God's grace and our thankfulness and the awe that his grace is, as we stand in awe of it, it empowers us to minister until we're called home. Second today and fourth overall, as individuals and as a body of believers, we, like Paul, proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. The answer is Jesus. With the high schoolers, we always kind of tease that, you know, you'll ask a question. The junior hires in high school, they don't know the answer. You'll get one kid always, oh, Jesus. And in some ways, it kind of bugs me, to be honest. But in other ways, I go, yep. That's the answer. Christ is the center. He is our message. He is the answer. Look at verses 8 through 10. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You see, we see the purpose of God's grace in Paul's life right here. And it's separated by an and. And like Paul, this is our purpose. And what do we see? The first purpose is this, to proclaim the unsearchable, incomprehensible, and incalculable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. The word used here for unsearchable, now I do not know Greek, and I will just tell you right off the bat, I don't. I know a little bit to get myself in a real bunch of trouble. So I trust other scholars, and God is good, and I also know, by the way, that the blessing of the English Bibles that we have have been so diligently translated that you can have full confidence in the scriptures that you own. All right? So that's important for us to know. But... The word here used for unsearchable, incomprehensible, and incalculable, calculable, I have a hard time saying that, is used only in biblical, in biblical Greek. Paul, by the whole power of the Holy Spirit, made up a word. And it's this. It's linked to tracking, to searching, like you would look for footprints. In fact, footprints is tied to the word. I'm not a hunter, but I would imagine if you're tracking something, you're looking for the signs that an elk or a deer is around. You're looking for footprints. You got the binoculars out. You're searching. You're searching diligently. But yet it says... The riches of Christ are untraceable and unsearchable. Do you grasp that? It means they're infinite. And it's hard for me, because I'm really not that smart, to grasp infinite. To grasp the concept of eternity and infinity. 
but the riches of Christ never, ever end. And you will see the riches of Christ everywhere. You will see the footprints of God's grace in your life. You will see the evidence that he is there, but the resources never, ever, ever, ever end. There's always more. There's always more to know. This side of heaven, and I even actually believe in all eternity, we will still be searching for the infinite riches of Christ. Even as our faith is made sight, eternity will be still about knowing and worshiping our Savior. His riches are unsearchable, immeasurable, and they never, ever end. And that is awesome. Because of grace, we, like Paul, need to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was all consumed with Jesus. Do you see that? Can you just see that in his writings as you read the scriptures? Look at Paul's life. He was immersed in Christ. It was, he was all consumed. And are we? All Paul proclaimed was Christ crucified. Christ alone. And Jesus Christ is who we as a church and we as individuals must proclaim. We have nothing else to offer, but we have everything to offer when we offer them Jesus Christ. It never gets old. Jesus Christ should never, ever, ever get old. And speaking of Jesus should never, ever be boring because it's empowering. I'm going to tell you now, if I bore you, it's because of me. It is not because Christ is boring. His glory is never ending. If we are passionless in our walk with God, in our walk with Christ, it is not because of Jesus. Never forget this. His glory is never ending. So we must, like Paul, continually proclaim and remember the greatness of Jesus Christ. You know, as we are looking for our teaching pastor, and I want to thank you, many of you have come and talked to us or sent in notes what we're looking for. This is what I pray. I pray that when we leave on a Sunday, that we won't say this, what a great message. I pray we leave each Sunday and we say this, what a great God, what a great Savior that all things are turned to Jesus Christ. That it would resound within our hearts and within our souls how great Jesus is. How great his grace is. Christ must be the center. And we must put him there. Let's put Jesus in the best place. Because that's where he is. We don't put him there. It's where he is. Let's just proclaim the truth of who he is. He's the best. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the center. He is our message. He is our proclamation. And so we see this. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. So grace was given to Paul to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light 
for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul is flipping on the light switch. And that's his second purpose, to reveal Christ, to bring Jesus Christ to light, to show the world who Jesus is and what he has done. Paul received grace to bring to light for everyone the plan of God, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And we, like Paul, get to be part of God's sovereign plan. You sitting here today, you're part of the plan. You're on the team. You're important. You're part of our church. You're part of Christ's church. That's his plan. And we're part of the plan. You ever see a little kid? Maybe you have a board game you like, and that seven, eight-year-old just isn't quite ready to grasp it, but they sit there, and they're trying to learn a game like Settlers of Catan or whatever. And, and I know with Katie, I used to say, Katie, you're, we're co-teammates. Come on, come sit here. And you and I will do this together. And I still make all the decisions, because that's how I am. I want to win. <laughs> but then as she got older, you could see, and I'd say, okay, you get your own pieces today. Can't take green, because I'm always green but you're orange, you're team orange. And you better go buy some sheep and wood and you better build up your territory. You're on your own. I'm not gonna help you because I'm trying to beat you. I'm in the game? I'm in the game, I get, to, I get to play? Yes, you get to play. You were dead in your sins and you're in the game. And it's not a game. It's a purposeful plan from all eternity. And grace was given to us like it was given to Paul to bring to light the gospel. And we got to do it. We get to do it. I love God's sovereign plan. You know, when Paul mentions that he's the creator of all things, it speaks of God's sovereignty. God's eternal purpose is this. Jew and Gentile are one in Jesus Christ. He repeats it again. We are all one in Christ. The gospel is for all nations, for all peoples. Salvation comes through God's grace, and Jesus Christ is our Savior. So let's come back next week, and we'll look at the final two examples from Paul's life. Then we have Jews for Jesus. And then we'll probably come close, can't promise, to finishing up chapter 3. And then chapter 4, meat and potatoes, with an extra dose of gravy, how we live because of God's grace and his commandments, as it says in 1 John, they are not a burden. And you know why holy living is not a burden? Because of God's grace. Amen? Let's follow Paul's example because he followed Christ, right? We follow Jesus Christ as individuals and as a church. This is our calling. I know what the end song is. And they're going to come on up, sing it out, because we're going to sing of amazing grace. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, you are good. And Father, I just thank you of the blessing and the privilege it is to, in my own 
unique way as you've gifted me by your grace to, to bring your word. And Father, it often is, is hard and difficult. But Father, your word is so good. And so Father, I would really pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would just fill in all the blanks of this rich, rich passage. Father, when we see that something is immeasurable and incalculable, I can't give words to how great Jesus is. Oh, but Father, may he be first in everything in our lives. Thank you for the grace given to us through Jesus to accomplish your purpose and your plan that you have for us as individuals and the purpose and the plan that you have for us as a church. You are good. You are great. We love you. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen.